0: This is the Specialty Coffee Podcast by Storyline Coffee Roasters. Today we have a very special guest on. We have Eric, who is one of the owners of Sweet Bloom Coffee Roasters here in Colorado. Uh, personally, I consider Sweet Bloom to be one of the best and premier coffee roasters, not only in Colorado, both in the United States. So I'm super excited to hear from Eric and have you on today, man. Um, And just real quick before we start for our listeners, if you can leave us a quick review, it helps out our show and our guests just get um, known and get the word out about what they're doing and the amazing things and passions that are inside of their hearts and what they are excited about. So if you can leave us a review, share this podcast, we would greatly appreciate it. So Eric, again, thank you so much for coming on, man. I'm excited to chat with you and hear about your journey through specialty coffee.
1: Thanks for having me. I'm really honored that you asked me to, to talk. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. So how, kind of take us from the beginning, how did you find yourself in specialty coffee and where was kind of your launching point with that?
1: Yeah. Um, uh, you know, I had a, I had like little bits of coffee here and there back in my early twenties. And, um, I think that was, you know, that's a little introduction to for, for me and, and coffee, but, um, I actually worked with junior high and high school students throughout my twenties and took a break from that. And I got into, um, I got into fine dining actually. And just really, I, I, it was, it, that was, uh, intended to be a real, uh, um, uh, you know, temporary gig. I was just going to serve tables for a couple of months and then move on. And they ended up running that restaurant and just falling in love with hospitality altogether. Mm. And just really kind of surprised by uh, just that, really, like the the intensity of which I loved the hospitality industry and how the yeah. you know how it connected with people. Um, so I ended up running that restaurant. This is a, this is a real quick version of this this story. Sure. I ended up running that restaurant for a little while, and then I had an opportunity uh, actually to buy out a, a coffee shop that was struggling. That was actually yeah. my um, my go to shop every day. Um, and it's actually where I fell in love with, uh, with specialty coffee. Um, it was, uh, it was a, a Novo shop. And for those of, you know, in Colorado and around the, and around the United States and globe, uh, people know Novo as well. They're a great company. Um, at that time they were just struggling to sort of run that specific location. And, um, the owners of Novo approached me, um, one Saturday morning and just said, Hey, you should buy this coffee shop from us. It, you know, it, we're, we need to focus on what we're good at, which is, which is wholesale. And we need to rethink mm-hmm. what retail looks like for us. And this shop really needs focus on the people and the community. And, um, we think you should do that. And I was like, Oh, that's like, well, I'm flattered thanks, but no, thanks. Mm-hmm. And, um, and then very long story short, three weeks later, I owned a coffee shop. Wow. And I stepping it, and then a couple. I overlapped the first couple of weeks of owning a coffee shop with running a fine dining restaurant, Holy and then yeah. stepped out of the, stepped, out, stepped out of the restaurant, and and I found myself, um, you know, it, it just made a lot of sense, hmm. and um, and I found myself really uh, understanding like that it that this was sort of my path, and um, you know, I came from a lot of food and wine and the approach to, to food and wine and wine being this, you know, complex beverage that has story to tell and presentation Mm. and, um, and you know, connection to people and all that, that stuff. And so I was really used to, to speaking about a product in that direction, um, and, and presenting it to guests in that way. And so, um, right away, I I knew a little bit about coffee and I knew I really wanted to know a lot about coffee and I wanted to elevate the coffee experience. Um, but so right away, I just sort of applied my coffee, my, my, my wine knowledge, um, and the presentation in which I, you know, the the way I I presented wine and talked about wine and everything Mm. and that story, um, to the way I approached coffee. Um, and a lot of people, um, you know, well, a handful of people back then in 2010, um, uh, that I could, that I could sort of, you know, learn from, and especially coffee, Novo and the folks there were, were, were some of those, uh, folks that really helped me, um, kind of get up and going. Uh, yeah. So anyway, I ended up taking over that, that, uh, coffee shop, just kind of running it by myself. And that was what I started as two rivers coffee back in 2010. And, um, yeah, that was kind of my intro to, that's awesome intro to coffee. And yeah,
0: so did you when you took over novo did you start it kind of as a new brand under two rivers or did you continue running it as novo for a period of time
1: yeah no i started it as two rivers uh cool uh basically right away as soon as i as soon as i had a little extra i didn't really have you know any funds really to run a a coffee shop so as soon as i had an extra couple bucks i would paint a wall or put up a sign that said two rivers or whatever whatever it took to kind of kind of bootstrap it at that point and to learn about what especially coffee was, you know, and how to present that better and how to, you know, get the right equipment to, you know, make it more consistent sure. and, and all the things. Um, so yeah, but, uh, Nova really was, was instrumental in like getting that started. They really, um, they, uh, during the three week period of them kind of saying, Hey, you should buy this shop from us. And me saying like, Hey, that's, you know, thanks, but no thanks. It's not going to happen. And then it actually happening. They really just said, Hey, we'd like to make this work. How can we sort of, you know, support you in this? How can we, you know, you can serve our coffee at an insane discount and you can, you know, we'll support however we can. Uh, but we just, they, you know, just showed that they really supported that whole vision for that, that shop. So that was really cool.
0: Was it difficult for you to, because I mean, I don't, it doesn't sound like you had any like cafe experience or behind bar or anything like that. Obviously you had prior like restaurant and fine dining experience. Did you yeah. find it challenging kind of, you know, jumping in headfirst into running a coffee shop and owning that? Yeah. Or did you find it yeah. to be a pretty natural transition because you were so hospitality focused? Like what was that kind of like of all of a sudden you're used to fine dining and now you're headfirst in right. a specialty coffee?
1: Right. You know, um, I did have, a, I did have uh, a bit of experience in coffee shops. Now, it okay. was not specialty by any means, um, but I did have a, a bit of experience in coffee shops. and I understand that stood the fundamentals of, of making coffee. Sure. Um, back in 2010 in, in Denver, the idea of specialty coffee was just starting to sort of take root. Um, and uh, we were looking outside of Denver. You know, there was a, there was a couple of us doing specialty coffee in Denver. And we were looking outside of Denver to like Mm -hmm. find references. And then we'd get together and be like, okay, what do you know? And like, what do you know? And what do you, and I I saw that you had, I didn't even know, but I saw you had uh, Miguel Vacuna on and um, and Miguel was one of the, you know, early specialty coffee folks dedicated to, you know, solid coffee in Denver. Um, And there, you know, there were a few folks that were just really collaborative in the, in the specialty coffee space. And so, um, Everybody was rooting for each other. So that really, that really helped. But I did have a little bit of, 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 um, you know, uh, fundamental coffee, sure. uh, you know, knowledge or skill set. But then drawing from those others in the industry and around town that, um, we could kind of say, like, hey, how do you do an aero press? Okay. I guess yeah. we, I could do that too. And, you know, just, just a little bit at a time learning, learning, um, more and more. Uh, I think what the commonality, um, that we all shared was that we all, wanted to do something better and we mm. wanted to elevate that experience. And so yeah. my knowledge of fine dining, uh, food and wine, and th- that presentation, I, I was always trying to let like, to sort of bridge that gap between the, the like tiny fundamentals that I knew of coffee that wasn't quite specialty. And then the fine dining experience that I knew mm. was out there and then trying to kind of like journey the coffee towards that, you know. Yeah. So yeah.
0: No, that's fascinating. I think it's it's an awesome mention to you guys kind of as like the founders or kind of some of the beginning instrumental parties in Denver for me in my experience within Denver's coffee culture is it was very kind of what you just explained it was very welcoming it was very inclusive and like hey let's help each other how can we progress together what are you doing that's working how can and i yeah. think you know just kind of as you were there explaining that culture was so instrumental for i think a lot of people getting into specialty coffee of just like hey We're all after this common goal. There's plenty of customers to go around here. Like, how can we all elevate what we're doing? And, and I think that's, it's a beautiful picture. And I think that doesn't just come into Denver, but I think that's specialty coffee in general. And I hope that that culture and kind of environment of, progression and kind of moving things forward together remains and kind of stays as the industry becomes more and more established. And, um, but yeah, it's, it's cool to see that you guys were kind of, that was, that was a thing a long time ago. And I think that's stuck through. So, um, yeah, Yeah. it's cool to see.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I'm I'm really proud of where the culture of specialty coffee has, has come and, um, how, uh, how hospitable it's become, Hmm. how inclusive it's become, you know, and it continues to strive to be better and better at those things. Um, you know, there were, there were moments in the early days of at least my, my career, especially coffee, um, that, uh, there was a danger of uh, us becoming too, the the, the culture in some ways becoming too, uh, snobbish or, you know, to some, and uh, I think people, I think the, the, um, the industry has really thought that in, in beautiful ways and like mm-hmm. really tried to be inclusive and welcoming to, to, yeah. uh, you know, anybody who's willing to, you know, give specialty the coffee a try.
0: Yeah. How, with your experience in hospitality and wine, how did that transfer over to creating a hospitable environment and how did you kind of craft that within two rivers and then, mm-hmm. um, kind of, carry that over to, I think what you said earlier is beautiful of like the story of wine. Like you had experience in a beverage that naturally comes with a story and kind of sharing that. So Mm -hmm. how did you create that culture and that hospitable environment within your
1: coffee shop? Um, that's a great question. I think, I think what was, um, really instrumental in that, in those early days for me was the support that Novo Brought and the education, uh, you know, and their passion to tell the stories of the producers of, uh, you know, trying to draw that connection. And you know, anytime I'm out, uh, my wife and I are out for, uh, you know, food, especially at a fine dining restaurant, or you know, it, you know, has nice wine. You know, what 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 one of the big things that draws me into the wine that I might choose is the way that um, it's spoken about, the story that is told behind it, and so. Um, and that's what I really resonated with when I was in that industry, uh, was a lot of those stories and the way that you could, you could present that. And that's, I mean, that's what we're doing here. We're telling stories and we're like connecting with each other's story and, um, and everything that's wrapped around that, the mysteries of that story and, you know, the humanity of that story, my kid crying in the background of that story, you know, all the raw realness of that story, the products that we go after. Uh, that we consume we want to know that they have a story to tell behind them and mm. hopefully that's a story of integrity and and truthfulness and and um so so um you know telling that in the beginning was was uh, really important and nova really helped that because they, they kind of helped me tell those stories and say like oh here's here's the story of these producers and here's how you mm. can connect that and you know, so it was really easy easy for me to take that story and and then connect that to um, the guest who was drinking the coffee, and then connect that to the tasting notes and all the other things that I was learning. I mean, I was trying to just stay one step ahead of the, the <laughs> of the education, you know, coffee education, so that sure. I could tell it to the next guest. And you know, I was fumbling over how to talk about it um, for the first little while there, but then it's just it's just practice, and it was like you know a willing audience that was like engaged. Um, and willing to be there and let me sort of fail a little bit and and, and fumble over it. Um, What was the second half of your question you had asked?
0: I think I just asked like the, how did you create that hospitable environment? Mm. So that's kind of the story of wine and how then the story of coffee kind of transferred, but then how did you take that hospitality into two rivers and kind of create that culture of welcomingness and, kind of just wanting to connect them to that story.
1: Yeah. Um, I think one of the things that that made me really fall in love with hospitality, um, in general and, um, creating that environment for folks to come in and feel like they belonged there was, um, was really the repeat customer, you know, whether it mm-hmm. was in fine dining, whether it was in, in, um, coffee or whatever. was that, that repeat customer, a lot of times, as you as you get somebody that comes in day after day, or week after week, or month after month, um, you recognize that those little moments that you have with somebody, whether they're three seconds or thirty seconds or three minutes or you know three hours or whatever it is, those really add up. Those moments really add up to this like um, this relationship that's built, um, and that you know to whatever level that is, like. The more time you spend with somebody, the more the relationship is built. And so I, I always approached, I always approached inviting people into two rivers as if they were coming into my home hmm. um, and as if they were a guest in my own home. And that, you know, that starts with, that starts with, you know, first you're kind of a stranger, like, you know, if I'm inviting you into my house, I've, I've got to, I've got to sort of soften the blow of this strange place and I've got to be able to say, okay, this is where your shoes go. Or you can leave your shoes on. It doesn't matter. You, you take your shoes off. This way's the restroom and like help yourself the food over here. And this is, you know, like sit on the couch, whatever, and make it comfortable. And like, really, you know, it's this formal interaction, a little bit strange, a little bit clunky and, you're, and your guest is trying to figure out like, do I belong here? Should I take off my shoes? Like, you know what, you know? And so sort of that same interaction, with every single guest is just to read them and say like, this is your first experience here. Like it's going to be clunky and it's going to be weird. And, and I know that I have to be the person that has to sort of soften that up, but by the third and fourth and fifth interaction, it turns into this really friendly interaction where I know your name and, and, um, where, you know, the, you kind of the the lay of the land and the rules of the place. And you're, and so you're telling your friends now you're like, Hey, come on in, like, I want to show you this cool coffee shop or, this, this place that's doing something, you know, um, a little bit different. Um, you totally belong here. Like this is the place for you. And I'm going to kind of walk you through the lay of the land. And like, this is a natural process coffee. This is something different. This is, mm-hmm. you know, these things that, you know, that, that word of mouth spread to, to, um, you know, uh, guest after guest and throughout the community that this was a place to be. And it's like, you know, you, you, you're invited into this home and like, that's, that's, you know, um, it was just, a, yeah, it was just a beautiful sort of organic, organic relational thing. And in, in fine dining, I don't know, I don't know if some would automatically see fine dining. as like this very relational mm-hmm. thing. Mm-hmm. Um, but I think at its best it's, it's, it's strictly relational. Um, it's, it's really only built on like, genuine relationships, you know, um, uh, at every step of the way. So it really, I mean, it, it was just a really direct correlation to, um, fine dining and coffee and hospitality and all that.
0: That's awesome. What yeah. things did you learn kind of in those early days, starting out as a new business owner, kind of creating that hospitable environment? What were some things that you learned maybe even the hard way of, you know, that you now can carry with you into, you know, sweet bloom and the other kind of environments and businesses that you're running. Um, what were some of those early lessons for someone that was new into running a coffee shop, into running a business? What were some of those things like, man, like I didn't see that coming or.
1: Yeah. Um, You know, the early lessons that, uh, well, I I think the first one is, is you you always work more hours than you think, and it's going to be a lot more hours, double or triple what your expectations are most of the Mm. time. If if you're, if you're starting out and you're new at it, um, and that was something that came as a bit of a surprise to me. Um, it also came as a bit of a surprise to me how long it would take for me to, um, figure out how to, you know, how to hire people and when that was the right timing. And, you know, if I had the proper finances for that and, hmm. and that sort of thing, um, uh, cause I'd run businesses before, but I wasn't, I never had my own business. There was always sort of rules set for me and now I'm setting sure. the rules. And so it's like, well, how does this, how's this supposed to work? And, um, uh, you know, paying myself was always very, very hard for those first, many years that was super hard but i advise people to try and work that in as early as possible and to pay yourself because you know your shelf life as an unpaid as an unpaid owner or um entrepreneur is only so so long like you can't you can't go forever so unless you have like you know a money bank that's just um sustaining you outside of that business venture you got to work into the financials financials how much you pay yourself and so when i finally did that it wasn't like a ton, you know, like my, the first year, I think I made like four, I took like $4,000 oh wow. and then it was 12, then it was $12,000 and then it was, yeah. you know, a little bit more every year for a little while. And, um, but I had a situation where I had, I could do that, you know, somehow, I don't know how I actually survived, but I, I worked <laughs> yeah. it out. Uh, the extra pastries that were, you know, at the end of the day or whatever, were my food, <laughs> but
0: Yeah. It's amazing what you can sustain yourself on when you're just highly caffeinated all day.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah, yeah, for sure. I also think too, you know, I wouldn't, I wouldn't, um, I wouldn't overlook or downplay the importance of, um, really documenting your processes Mm. from day one. Um, learning, uh, learning how to just, you know, write down, like, what do I do and how do I, how do I do it? And you can always refine that. Mm. Um, but those are the processes that are going to help you, uh, replicate yourself in an, in an, in an employee, in a staff member. Those are the processes that are going to make it easier for you to, um, you know, train up the next, the next generation, um, and empower your, you know, your teams. And without those things documented, it's harder to get them out of your head and into your employees, uh, you know, heads and, and, and empower others to kind of run with it. So, you're, you're always trying, there'll always be attention there. And that's, um, you know, we still have some of that. And, um, mm. you know, and, and there's things I'm like, man, I wish I would have documented that when I had, you know, the motivation to do so or that it was when it was fresh or when it was, you know, whatever. Um, but documenting those processes right away, you know, once they're on paper, you can always go and edit it. But right. until it's on paper, you know, it's really, really hard uh, to pass it along. And, that can get really tiring. Um, And it can also feel like, you know, for the beginning, for the beginner owner, like you have no time, like how would I have time to process, you know, document stuff? And like, maybe you don't, but you know, take some bullet point notes and then you can expand on that later. Um, Take some bullet point notes in a, you know, organized fashion, expand on that later. Uh, um, But at least thinking about that stuff from the beginning, it's very, very important.
0: Yeah. How do you feel like, kind of with documenting processes and empowering your staff, how have you managed to give guidelines and kind of process and procedure, but also empower your staff to kind of step into the things that they want to and kind of take ownership over whatever role that they have? Like how, how do you manage kind of not wanting to box in your employees of like, Hey, here's what you do. You turn the lights on, you do this, you do that, you do this, but also, providing them processes and structure, but also wanting to then empower them to take ownership and wanting to kind of get behind them as to, Hey, what are you excited about? What are you passionate about? How can I further what you're doing? How do you, how do you balance that as a business owner, um, in someone kind of doing that with their staff?
1: Yeah, that's a great question. And and it, it is something that we like to be fully honest and transparent. It's something that we are, um, we are working on, um, continuously and, And in the last couple of years, our business has really shifted and and grown in a lot of great ways and expanded in our team. And, um, so it's always, it's, it's something that we are, uh, continually working on. I think that the, um, you know, the best leaders lead by example. Hmm. Um, and we have some great leaders on, on our whole staff and leadership team. Um, and so leading by example is, is, you know, you know, not necessarily a documented process, but you know, right. it's, it's taking those things and you know, uh, um, you know, a leader lead by example is like really just taking people alongside of themselves and, and walking through them while walking through processes and things with them. Now, um, you know, from like a real formal standpoint, it is, um, it is continually identifying the areas where we need to, uh, um, provide better written guidance, and provide a more accessible platform for that written guidance on how to, you know, how to do those things. But it is also a balance because you can, you can set out to write, you know, a step-by-step process, you know, um, uh, from top to bottom, exactly as it should be, with you know, with no exceptions. And that can be very dry and, you know, very micromanagey. And you know, your, your expect- expectations will always be will always be dropped or you can approach your, your staff. Um, and especially those, those who are leadership with, um, with sort of a, a, a challenging, but good, but challenging work environment, which, which, you know, always is calling them to delegate, um, delegate responsibilities to, to folks so that they can sort of elevate those folks into, uh, greater, um, you know, development in their careers, greater development in their, uh, skill sets and that sort of thing. And and always kind of keeping an eye on how they can kind of pass along different skill sets. So, um, that's, I feel like that's a jumbled answer, except to say that, you know, right now we're really working on a lot of that and how to, how to, as a growing company, we were, we were two companies that merged sweet bloom and two rivers at the beginning of two two, and being in 2020, we can jump into that story. But at that time we were, one, two rivers was, I think 11 people and Sweet Boom is about seven, maybe eight. So we were 20 people, uh, about 20 people when we first merged and then, um, uh, pretty quickly we, we added another uh, location, our third location, and then, uh, we've grown with staff. And so we're now at like 42 people. Wow. And, um, officially our, our leadership team has about 13, 14 people on it. Wow. Um, so we've like we've we've grown pretty quickly, um, and we've we've kind of outpaced our, our uh, <laughs> we've sort of outpaced some of our processes, and so sure. we're taking some time even right now to say like whoa whoa whoa, let's make sure that whatever growth opportunities come about, we're really prepared for mm-hmm. that. Our team is healthy, that we have healthy organization, that we have healthy. Um, you know, that I'm myself and Andy are sort of stepping out of places, you know, things we've always sort of held on to because that was just the default. Like Andy and Eric, you do everything. You kind of wear a thousand hats. And so we're trying to, you know, uh, you know kind of fine tooth comb our processes to understand where um, any of our leadership, there's where there's overlap, or, um, where there's somebody might be doing too much or carrying the wrong responsibilities, doing that stuff. So that we can uh, really uh, with, uh, you know, set people off, sort of with autonomy, to just take their um, their department or their job title and run with it, um, and be really, really empowered in that, and not have just like a jumbled mess of other things they're trying to sort through. Um, so. Yeah. Not a direct answer to your question exactly, but no, it it's ongoing it's an ongoing process for sure.
0: Yeah. What was it like merging two rivers, kind of your staff and culture with then Andy and Sweet Bloom? How did one, Ooh. how did you guys come about of like, hey, let's partner and do this thing together and merge? Um, yeah. how did that kind of come about? And then how was it kind of saying, All right, guys, like now we're one company, now we're one vision, mm-hmm. like was there a lot of processes and kind of things you put out to say, like, Hey, this is who we are now as a new kind of organization. And I mean, it sounds like you guys almost doubled in size in three years, which is, you know, very quickly. And so how did you kind of yeah. one merge, and then also kind of expand quickly and maintain those things?
1: Yeah. Um, so the merge conversation was, uh, so when Andy Springer moved into town in, um, and started Sweet Bloom in 2013. There was a lot of, you know, the specialty coffee endeavor was young, and we're still finding our feet in a lot of ways. And when Andy, I think when Andy moved into town, um, was when everybody was like, whoa, this, we're, we we got to get serious. Um, and, yeah. and to, to be fair to Andy, like he didn't come in and be like, everybody gets serious. Andy's the most humble, like, uh, you know, caring human, on the planet. Um, and, and so he wasn't, but, but I think everybody saw this, these achievements of, you know, Andy Springer and what he had done. And then all of a sudden for us, we're like, Oh geez, that's going to set a different bar. Um, mm-hmm. and in such a good way. And it really, right. I think it really did sort of catapult, um, the Denver coffee scene and just even that much more. Um, so, um, when Andy uh, Springer first moved into town, I actually had no clue who he was. And, um, I was like, who's this Andy fella? And he walked into my coffee shop and was like, Hey, uh, I get your Andy Springer. I don't actually really know. I wasn't really following the competition scene that closely. And, um, I was like, but I guess, you know, you're kind of a big deal. And he kind of laughed at that and, you know, and, um, and we became pretty quick, uh, quick friends. We have, we have And then we realized that we had a lot of values and, and vision for our company um, in common. And we wanted to see the same thing for our communities. So -hmm. we just ended up becoming quick friends and, um, you know, frequently having lunch together and just talking business like, Hey, what are you doing? How do we do that better? How do you, Mm -hmm. you know, just kind of going back and forth. Like how do we hire people? How do we, you know, all those things. And um, so, Uh, the conversation, you know, business conversation for Andy and I became pretty natural um, and really trusting. Like we could share each other's secrets and just know that those were, you know, those were held in confidence. Um, And then I think it was, I think it was probably late 2015, Um, early 2015. I had, I was just like sort of burned out and I was like, man, what is the future for Two Rivers? Maybe I've had my five years and maybe that's the end. And I don't really know. And it, that was a couple months of season of just feeling really like I had no clue what would the future held, what held and I was a bit burned out. Um, and then I had a bit of this sort of daydream that was, you know, daydream vision. That was like, we should merge. I should merge with sweet bloom. And then I kind of hmm. wrote down like, this is how, this is the pros and cons of that. And this is what that would look like over the long term and whatnot. And, um, I don't exactly remember how I presented it to Andy. I may have texted him or I may have called him like, hey, I've got this crazy idea. Let's talk. And so we, we talked about it at that point. Just said, hey, what if what if we merge? Because Two Rivers, I was trying to be, like I wanted to be a, a really great roaster. And, mm-hmm. you know, the, the bar was set by Sweet Bloom. So I was like, I, I just want to be Sweet Bloom. Um, and, you know, but our focus, primary focus was retail. And um, Sweet Bloom's primary focus was was roasting. We were doing some roasting, uh, you know, but but that was sort of like secondary. And he was doing uh, Sweet Bloom's doing a little bit of retail, but that was sort of secondary. And so we sort of had these opposite focuses that were complementary to each other. And so a lot of it just made sense to me um, and pres- presented it. Uh, I presented it to Andy at that point, And there was a lot of discussion around that we uh, we're actually almost you know, had some, almost took some opportunities to merge or to do some joint projects a couple of times in between 2016 and 2019. Um, But the, the, so the conversation kept coming up, but it always was like, eh, it's not the right time. Like this is, you know, things just weren't right. But we always said like, let's not kill the conversation. Sure. And then, and then in uh, 2019, um, like July of 2019, Andy and I would have a uh, lunch and, and we hadn't really talked about the merge in a while and I, and I wasn't really going to bring it up. And, um, and Andy at the end of the meal was just like, Hey, also one last thing, how about that merge? And I was like, what? Sure. Let's do it. So, yeah. um, we kind of just at that point, you know, we just kind of knew that it was the right time um, for multiple reasons. And we knew that, you know, I needed help, you know, folk, like if we were each going to be just individuals spoke trying to focus on everything, it just wasn't going to, be really healthy, and so if we could kind of complement each other's skill sets, um, that was going to be ideal. So um, we started acting like one company in in like October of 2019 and January 1st of 2020. We were officially on paper, legally one company. And like I said, yeah, it was we we came with about 20 uh, uh, employees uh, collectively, and um, and then. The quick expansion that you mentioned uh, although it felt quick um probably to the outside uh, world was actually um uh our westminster location i i had negotiated negotiated on that um starting in 2015 with the city oh, of westminster wow. um started that conversation as two rivers we actually designed the whole shop as two rivers um we were going to build it as two rivers and had been planning that for years um, and waiting for the city of Westminster and all the development to kind of get, sort of get that off the ground, um, which was delay after delay. Um, but then it also, it, you know, all just happened that we merged and then, you know, they were finally ready for us to build. So hmm. we quickly went quickly as, you know, uh, five year clearly. process. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> we quickly went from like, you know, we have two shops now collectively to, well, I've already committed to Rivers. We've already committed. That's part of this merge. Like, I'm bringing this other future shop. And then um, early, uh, late 2019, um, the city of Westminster was like, hey, we're... And and all the developers were like, they were breaking ground. We're ready to go. Like, you should get ready to go too. And we're like, great. We can get ready to go. And we've redesigned it as as Sweet Bloom instead. Went back to our designers. We redesigned it in Sweet Bloom. And then um, we're, you know, getting ready to pull the trigger on on that shop. Uh, and then the pandemic hit and that sort of stalled some stuff, um, for, for that build. And so then we ended up launching that, uh, shop in March, March or April, I think March of 2021. So it was a lot for sure in that like short period of time, plus pandemic and all the other stuff. Um, but, uh, um, it actually wasn't just like we're going to start a shop, and then you know, the next year we did. It was like a, it was a lot of process, a lot yeah, stuff no that, stuff that went into it. So, um, yeah, that's kind of how all that came about.
0: Wow, how has it been on? I mean, one, it's you know, I kind of we had mentioned this kind of before we had even started. Of like, it's a beautiful partnership of you being hospitality focused and retail mm-hmm. focused. And Andy being such a premier roaster and so wholesale focused and doing a little bit of retail, it's a beautiful partnership. How has it been on the retail and hospitality side of now managing multiple locations and creating... Cause I think, you know, like you mentioned initially, you were saying like, you know, it's like coming into my home. Like it's one thing to welcome someone into your home. It's another thing to like manage three Airbnbs and make those spaces kind of feel hospitality-like and like it's your home as well. And so how has that scale kind of been for you to manage multiple locations?
1: Yeah. Um, you know, managing to, well, I think I always heard when we, uh, you know, from a lot of business owners that like starting your second, your second shop is always, always the hardest and the third. And then they get, they get easier after that because, you know, you have to learn how to multiply yourself for that second one. But once you've got a model for that, it becomes easier. You've already multiplied yourself and then you can kind of, you know, um, you can kind of apply that. So, um, we, we sort of did that with the merge. It was like, we were one shop and one shop and then all of a sudden we were two. So we were sort of forced into, um, and we were very similar cultures to rivers and sweet Bloom, but also, you know, there's just like, you know, there's change and there's like little things that we had to figure out, like, okay, you guys do it this way. We do it this way. Which way are we keeping? Or are we, it's going to be a hybrid or whatever. So it was always a constant, um, when it was just two is a bit of a constant, um, you know, conversation amongst all of our teams to say, like, how are we, like, what are we going to hang on to as our identity? And like, what are we letting go of and how are we moving forward and how fast or how big and what's, you know, should we move forward you know, which, you know, all that stuff. Um, but we also knew we had this, we also knew we had this Westminster shop that was imminent. It's coming. Um, and so that was, that was really, I really felt like that was the really our first second shop, our first Mm, opportunity to do a second shop. Um. Uh, and so, uh, with that, we created. You know, uh, we had to really uh, create new uh, or more robust training processes, and you know, really clear onboarding and really clear, you know, um, uh, support for how are we going to support three different shops and you know make it feel you know, it's not, we don't want it to be this chain where we're just a bunch of absentee owners and managers who, you know, phone it in. Um, and so I would say first and foremost, we have an incredible team. We have incredible people on our team that really understood, um, understood the heart of Two Rivers and Sweet Bloom and the, the combination of those two. Um, and now really the Sweet Bloom heart, um, understood that. And even though we didn't have the processes perfectly in place, knew how to, um, how to, you know, bring that heart to the community and in, those shops. So, you know, um, we, we've really had to focus a lot of attention on, uh, a lot of our time on just trusting our, our managers to lead those cafes, um, and, uh, instilling sort of the heart of Sweet Bloom and, and what we're trying to do and making sure that, you know, we're available as as leaders and owners and managers um, to to support that, and to kind of be there and to kind of show our faces and make sure that, you know, quality is in check, but also people are taken care of. And, you know, the coffee is really incredible, but also the place is also you know, a, a beautiful place to sit and
0: yeah, it's gorgeous.
1: Um, so, I I would say we're, you know, absolutely still figuring it out and um, you know, we hope to open a future location or two, not not crazy, um uh but we open uh, uh, open other locations. Um and I think that, you know, I really look forward to the next one because we've sort of proven some processes and we've learned a lot. Hmm. Um um but I think like that next opportunity to do it again kind of forces us to sort of refine that, make sure people are more in power, make sure communication is happening and that sort of thing. Um, um, yeah, that, I I would say that, that, that a big part of it is just always constantly talking about like, what is our heart and how do we care for our communities? And like, is that coming from Mm. a genuine place?
0: Yeah. How, how do you select kind of as you're looking for your next location how do you go about choosing the community that you want to be in? What does, for someone maybe that like owns a shop but wants to open a new location, how do you go about selecting the proper location, the community that you want to be in? And how do you, I'm assuming that each community, you know, whether it be the Westminster or Arvada and all the different places that you may be in, those communities and your customer base are probably going to be different for those locations. So how do you... How do you select which one you're going to be? And then how do you, do you change your culture or your kind of what you're serving, I guess, on a hospitality basis? If you're like more in a business park area, it may be different than like a neighborhood shop where it's very family focused. And so how do you, how do you kind of shift those things and how do you select where you want to be?
1: Yeah, I think that's a great question and and I'll, I'll explore it without having a real answer. Uh, Sure. Um, because, the, because, um, you know, first and foremost, you know, our, our first two locations weren't strategic. It wasn't like, we kind of go to this location right. with, yeah. this. we've done all the demographic studies and we've worked it out. And, you know, for Andy starting Sweet Bloom, it was like, you know, his hometown, uh, that held some value and it was a warehouse space that was, you know, relatively, relatively inexpensive and accessible. And wasn't ever meant to be a storefront. Yeah. Um, and he just, so he was, you know, sort of um, uh, almost forced by the city forced of to put to do in the it. Ca- yeah. cafe yep. that, you know, served the community. And so he's like, ah, fine, I'll do it, build a tasty group. Um, so it wasn't this like strategic, you know, at all, like this like strategy of, of growth for him um and for me i took over this other location in 3 weeks and so i i right. you know barely googling how to like register a domain name by the time i had you know owned a shop so yeah um, um so no strategy uh, at all going into those um but it did those, but the the strengths of like um you know kind of being forced into in a sense like forced into serving the community that we just were in like landed yeah Um, um, I think, I think, um, both of our shops, both of those original two shops were, were called the diamonds in the rough, you know, multiple, you know, multiple times, like, or sort of an unexpected, Like you don't expect this like fancy shop back in this like weird industrial park or at the end of this, you know, uh, you know, peculiar, uh, shopping center that, um, you know, you don't expect that. Um, but that's what became very, very special about both these locations. It's like people, you know, came to, you know, we were, we were, you know, blowing people's minds and, and the experience that we're giving was way above expectations. And, um, and then realizing too, like, you know, uh, you're like good, good on everybody that's doing coffee in Denver, at Boulder, and like maybe the obvious spot, if somebody was shopping around for location, location, location. Um, but then we realized like, oh, we've, landed in a place that's underserved for coffee. We've landed in these places that people all, these, you know, these folks out in the suburbs also love great coffee. Um, and that's really valuable. Um, you know, so when we, when we said yes to Westminster, it was not, it was not because it was like this bright and shiny, like, you know, well, in some ways it's bright and shiny. It was really great in, 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 in some ways, but it wasn't like this, like, just cookie cutter development that was like we just we put in you know the burger place we put in the you know the nail salon we put in the thing and it just all kind of looked the same and then we needed a coffee shop at the end. Um, they were really intentional about saying like hey we want we want you we want somebody you know we want other businesses that are that are special to you that are craft that represent Colorado that are that are um, you know have an intention to do well in their communities do good for their communities um, and and represent you know represent great hospitality and these great experiences um, and you know um, again that was a very long conversation with them because I just was like I, I don't really know if I'm ready to expand and then like I kind of just want to protect this integrity I don't want to just become a cookie cutter development kind of thing it just wasn't just just didn't resonate with me and for them, it was like like literally the, the city of Westminster um, and, and the developers uh, and, and myself having many, many discussions, and me just sort of grilling them and going like, hey, what do you, why does this matter for the community? Why do you want a coffee shop there? Why us? Like why not just any other coffee shop? And, and they love that. They, they really welcomed that kind of kind of uh, conversation. Um, cause they were like, we want the city of Westminster, like downtown, n- new downtown town, Westminster development to be a diverse community. We want it to be, you know, um, housing of all income levels. We want it to be offices. We want it to be really cool shops. We want it to be outdoor space. We want it to be like this hub of, of life that's happening. Um, and they really showed that they like proved that over and over again. Hmm. Like that's their big vision and things have moved slow in the city of Westminster, um, development, um, because of that, because it's not just like, here's the template, just apply it and, and then, you know, move on. Um, so other spots, one other spot that we're looking at too, is another, another development that is looking to be really the hub of, of a community that really needs it there. It's outdoor minded. It's Colorado minded. It's, you know, it's health minded. It's, um, it's got legacy behind it, like a lot of legacy, um, they're, they're really putting a lot of, um, time and attention and effort into it. It's not just a big developer that's going to just, you know, develop and then move on to the next one. It's like all, you know, family owned in a sense, um, yeah. development and, and they've done lots of community, um, community work, uh, around the, the vision of this development of what does the community actually need? What does it actually want? Um, so that's now, as we start to, to, you know, sort of like be informed by what we've really loved doing as, as, you know, these couple of coffee shops in the suburbs and these diamond in the rough kind of spaces, we recognize that, uh, you know, typically, and we've said no to a lot of people that have come to us and say like, we want a coffee shop right down in the middle of, you know, Denver. We're like, you know, that's just, it's just not our thing. Like there's a lot of great coffee shops down there already, already supporting that. And yeah, we're going to look at different things. Um not to say we would never say no to that, you know, say yes to that, but, um, you know, we want to make sure that the heart and the legacy of, of Sweet Bloom is sort of maintained in that. Um, and then, uh, even the second part of your question, which was, um, oh, and how do we, how do we sort of tailor, tailor those mm, like yeah. the, the, to those communities? Um, I don't think we've, we've really, um, uh, we haven't really been forced to, to mm. tailor to, um, to much as far as like, like an office park or whatever and eating just a bunch of, you know, huge bounce of batch brew or whatever. Um, and I, I don't know, I don't know what that would look like mm. exactly. I think we want to make, make sure that our, our, our small and simple menu really, we're proud of that and that it, it it's, Um, pleases the most amount of palates without compromising the product or the processes that we want to present.
0: Yeah. No, that's, that's amazing. I think, you know, it's such a, it's an amazing testament because you guys have grown a lot. And I think, you know, coming from such a Sweet Bloom was such a premier roaster and held such an esteem in the Denver coffee scene of being like mm-hmm. one of the best roasters and I think it's it's a cool it's a cool fit to see how that then has transferred into like hey we're still going to maintain this excellence and this quality and this high esteem on our coffee and on our wholesale and on everything else we're doing and we're going to maintain that same level of excellence within our you know, welcoming environment our hospitality and the culture that we've created and make sure that that excellence is transferred over. I mean, I think even just looking at photos of your shop, it's like, wow, that it's gorgeous, like the wall oh, and the like, you know, the tiles and just the design, I think, gives mm-hmm. an element of like, wow, this place is is crushing it and they're doing well. And then when you're welcomed into that environment, you know, kind of going back to what we mentioned earlier, there's not that like snobby excellence that comes with sweet bloom. You know, there's not this yeah. like, oh, like, you know, there's certain shops, I think early on in specialty coffee that kind of carried that, like, if you don't know the processing, method and varietal of this coffee, like, what are you doing here? You know? <laughs> yeah. And, that, yeah. Like, yeah, and yeah. I think that that like, you know, like we've mentioned it specialty coffee has come a long way to kind of combat that attitude. And, and yeah. I hope as it continues to progress, that maintains, and I think Sweet Blum's just never had that. And so it's, it's empowering to see like mm. the welcomingness, the culture and the excellence is, you know, so it's kind of an easy transfer into whatever community. Cause like that's mm. just your core values.
1: Yeah. Well, I, I appreciate that compliment. I mean, I appreciate that acknowledgement and that's, you know, something we're always striving for, for sure. And I wouldn't, I wouldn't be arrogant to think that we've, we've perfected it, but it's from an outsider's perspective. It's not, it's good to know at least we're perceived that way yeah. Um, and that we're maintaining some of that integrity because that's, you know, we, we work really hard for that. Uh, but also, you know, coffee, you know, especially coffee is, I think the scene is, is broadening as well. And you know, totally. there's, there's levels of, you know, there's, it doesn't have to just be, you know, the exact best roaster doing you know like you know the, the very best coffees in the world and tiny micro lots and uh, you know and, and whatever i mean i i wanted to ask you too like there we're even like in our buying practices we're trying to figure out like how do we support farmers better and i we like mm. you guys do your tier one and your tier two coffees i i haven't really seen anybody do that i wanted to ask you about that because i think that's really cool because what I see that, you know, and I don't, I don't know your heart behind it, but I, what I see that, uh, doing is, is provide, is, you know, um, kind of broadening the, the ability to buy more coffee from some of those producers at a different tier, still in the specialty world. For right. Sure. Um, but, you know, for, for Sweet we might say like, oh, it's got to score an 86 or above, but it has to be there, but there's still other coffee that's, you know, very presentable. In especially coffee, and I think that's lovely, and it's also a broader way to say we're going to buy more coffee from producers, um, and you know broaden broaden our ability to to you know um, support them in that way. Um, How's that? How's that been for you? What's your approach to that?
0: Yeah, it's been. It's kind of the creation of that was kind of twofold. One, I think the culture of Denver specialty coffee was well established. So there was this level of excellence that kind of, if you were in specialty coffee, that that was kind of expected almost of like, Hey, we're going to try to roast and source and buy from producers of the highest quality and get the best coffee out there. Um, Mm -hmm. and so coming to Buena Vista, there wasn't this like well-established large specialty coffee scene at all. And so, it was kind of a twofold approach. One for me coming into specialty coffee, I've always kind of wanted to combat that, like, Hey, wherever you're at in your coffee journey, I just want to meet you where you're at and Mm -hmm. kind of bridge you into this world that is specialty coffee. And, you know, similar to beer, like, Hey, you drink Coors Light and Bud Light all the time. And you just tried your first micro brew. Like, how can I, how can I kind of transition you into that? And it's okay that you just like Coors Light. Like there's nothing wrong with that, you know? Sure. Yeah. And so, yeah. Kind of for me, that was my heart behind the tier two. It was just like, how can the everyday coffee drinker that just cares about good things or they heard about us or whatever it may have piqued their interest or they saw a video online or whatever that was of like, hmm, like that's kind of cool. They're actually showing like where the coffee came from and who produced it and what was the processing method and like what does that even mean? And so for me, that was kind of like, Hey, those people may not love like a natural process Ethiopia or an anaerobic process coffee because it may just be too right. extreme for them. Um, right. now there's a market, I think for customers to want that and desire that of like, man, I want these kind of exotic and more higher tiered, you know, micro lots. And so for us, it was like, okay, like I think we can do both really well. And it pushed me as a roaster coming up to Buna Vista just as like how how can I not just focused on like brighter, fruity or floral, more of those kind of what we kind of associate with, I guess specialty coffee and kind of those front runner coffees, but instead like how can I how can I roast a really good rich, creamy, full-bodied, you know, approachable coffee that you know someone that's coming over from like their starbucks may still be like oh wow that's incredible like that's really great and so on the customer side of that that's um that's kind of where that came from on the producer side too i think it's just my heart has always been of like how can we share the story of coffee and i think making sure that you know like we're supporting people's livelihoods and their hard work and like what are sustainable practices and how can we as specialty coffee in the end buyers make sure that we're not just forcing the producers into these crazy, unrealistic micro lots that aren't re like, you know, with all these crazy processing methods, like is that sustainable in the long run on a large scale? Right. right. And you know, if, yes, organic coffees is great, but like, you know, farmers risk a lot just to have that organic tag on there because if something comes into their crop, like they lose it all. And so how can we really serve those producers that maybe are still getting great coffees that are well-approachable and accessible and fit those to our customer base as well? And so that's kind of what it's been like for us. It's been really great. Um, You know, we have people that like like only buy our tier ones. And we have people that like, it's kind of been cool to see different customers progress of like, they started out buying tier two coffees and like, right. you know, they bought like the same coffee for like six weeks straight and they loved it. Right. And then like, right. what else would you recommend? If I like this, what else would you recommend me trying? And so it's like, okay, you've, you've kind of naturally progressed and gotten to that point of wanting yeah. something different and unique. And it's cool to then kind of be like, we'll try this. And this is why you may like it and what the processing right. method is and why that matters and all that kind of stuff. Right. And so it's a cool that's way that to that kind really, of, yeah, that relation part.
1: Yeah. I was just, yeah. That's that relational and, and educational piece. I was going to, I want to, you know, compliment you on, uh, your Instagram presence, you know, in the, um, you know, what I've seen, I, I, I get a sense. There's probably even way more that you create and send to your, um, your, uh, your customers, but you know, that, um, the educational piece and making the education accessible, um, is super important. It's telling the stories of the producers. It's telling the stories of what are you drinking and why. And, you know, those are things that bring a lot of value to the, the products that we consume. So I think you've done a really cool job with that. I've been really Thanks. intrigued to see. As, yeah. cause you get, you were, you had started early and then paused and then relaunched yep. like 2021 or something, right?
0: Yeah, that's exactly right. So,
1: you know, so it seems like your approach from there has, I mean, at least what I've followed on Instagram has really been all about, um, education. Is that, would you say that that's, that's Yeah, true? I,
0: Yeah, absolutely. I think that's, I mean, our, so much of what we've kind of started when we relaunched, um, cause yeah, we started out in Denver doing a coffee trailer and doing that. And, that went really well and was awesome and exploded way quicker than we were ready for, um, and could maintain. And I was just immature and didn't have the like ability to scale with what was scaling. And so, um, but learned a ton, grew a ton from that, like learned so many lessons the hard way. And then kind of restarting was like, okay, what, what are we about and what, what drives mm. us, what creates passion for us. Um, and how can I still connect to people if I don't have a storefront, if I don't have right. a place where people are drinking our coffee and I'm seeing them on a regular basis. And a lot of that was educating them. Cause like people would shoot me questions all the time of like, Hey man, what, like, what would you recommend brewing wise for this? Or what I'm looking at getting an espresso machine. What would you recommend? Or I was like, man, like what if I just was able to connect with people not like behind the scenes on like a DM or a text message, but like what if I was able to connect with people about specialty coffee on a, on a broad scale? And then with our subscription of, you know, just like, Hey, what if we, curtailed content to the coffee that we are producing and specialty coffee in general. So like, Hey, you get this coffee or you get this coffee gear and let's talk about what that is, why it matters. Like why a WDT tool, it's hard to say quickly. I screw that up almost every time, but a WDT tool is, uh, is important for doing a espresso and like, why does, you know, like, how do you agitate your coffee and why does it matter? Right. And like, all of those things. And like, you know, here's why we selected this coffee for you this week. And I think these would be the great methods to brew it with. And this was the, right. like, let's talk about experimental processing methods. Here's an experimental processed coffee. And so yeah. that's kind of yeah. just been super fun. And I think it gives a greater value to just like, hey, we love your coffee. But it's like you're connecting with them on some level. Um, and some people like get super deep into it and other people may not even like read the write up or listen to the video and like, and then next week sure. they tune in cause it's interesting to them. And, but it's still sure. that point of connection for me. And, you know, that's kind of what launched me into the podcast is like, I craved that culture, the community of specialty coffee from Denver. And I was like, man, how can I, how can I still connect to people, get back into that scene of like, what's going on, get a pulse for the environment Um, being kind of remote and two and a half hours away from like that scene. And how can I, again, connect people on an education basis to people's stories and passions. And I think like what I'm super just excited about is that so many people have said, yes, like, you know, I reached out to you and you're like, dude, I'd love to come on. It's like, oh, awesome. Like this will be great. great. And what's so cool is I think that your customers and the people that love Sweet Bloom and are passionate about you or just even want to try it out, like they get to see a piece of your heart and your passion and what drives you and what you've learned and kind of that behind the scenes that maybe, you know, someone who just steps foot into your shop once because they're visiting doesn't get. And so, but they can listen to this podcast and see, like, man, this is what Sweet Bloom's about. Like, this is what their hospitality is about. Like, this is what Eric is driving in Sweet Bloom And like, I love Mm -hmm. that, you know, and and they get Mm -hmm. that kind of connection point. And so that's kind of what, Mm -hmm. uh, what forced me into, or wanted me to do all this stuff. So
1: it's fun. It's really cool.
0: Yeah, man. So
1: great. Well, awesome. What else are you, what else are you excited about coming down the future here for you?
0: Yeah, man. I mean, we, you mentioned kind of like hiring staff and knowing when to, Mm -hmm. we just hired, um, Catherine, she's a production roaster for us. And so, you know, like, and she's crushing it. I feel like, um, I don't know that I'm that great at teaching what I've done for a long time of roasting coffee, but like, she's either I'm decent at it or she just is a quick learner, but she's, yeah, she's doing great and crushing it. But also just that, like, growing process of like, okay, let's hire someone to kind of take some of the load off me on roasting so that I can step into other things and other, um, processes and things that I want to do, like create good content and education and connections with people and podcasting and and stuff like that that I'm passionate about in service, our wholesale customers really well. Um, yeah. so yeah, for us, I mean, what, we're super focused on and trying to really drill down on is being really good wholesale partner for people and servicing them really well and being really responsive to their needs and what their desires are and and being a resource, but not, it's always a tricky spot for me. I'm like, how much do I coach or give to you? And how much do I just say like, Hey, what do you need? What do you want? Like, yeah, I don't want to tell yeah. you how to run your business. I just want to be a service to you, you know, and that's, uh, sure. for sure. Um, but yeah, so wholesale, our subscription and content is the next big thing. And then, mm-hmm. you know, kind of podcasting, connecting to the culture that is specialty coffee is kind of like those three main points for us. Um, we've yeah. had, you know, opportunities to take over coffee shops up here and start things. Mm-hmm. And, um, I think similarly to you, Like you found that perfect partnership, right? You were, Mm -hmm. you know, kind of, you mentioned like a little bit burnt out, but then like you knew you were really good at hospitality and retail in that storefront. And, you know, you had Andy who was really wholesale focused. I haven't found that person who's really hospitality focused and retail and bar experience to partner mm-hmm. with me and say like hey let's do this and so sure i think if that right person came about i would totally jump on board with like hey let's do a shop like let's do a sore phone yeah. and yeah. um but that's not my i've learned like hey do what you're really good at stay in your lane and be excellent in yeah. those things um yeah. and find someone else who's excellent in the areas that you're not in and partner with them um, for sure i think tyler with um i always forget the name of his shop in colorado springs it's blanking me again um what is his shop he he has a couple different places it'll come to me if i stop trying to think about it but he did a really great job of building a um team around him of like hey you're excellent in hospitality you're excellent in roasting like you're excellent in bar process and like let's join yeah. forces and create a really amazing experience for everyone in all of these specialties that you for have and sure. so um, you're talking about loyal probably thank um, you lo- loyal, probably. yeah i i don't know yeah, what it is great. i always remember tyler yeah. and i can picture their logo but Tyler's for a reason yeah yeah um, yeah but yeah he's yeah. done a great job of creating a team around him and i think that's mm. challenging like hiring people finding right fits similar passions and things is is challenging Um, because, you know, you don't want to be the person that's wearing all the hats that is just getting pulled so thin. Um, Mm -hmm. you can sustain that for some time, but, um, knowing when to tire and when to hand things off is, is tricky
1: for sure. So, yeah, well, I'm sure we could talk about that for another hour. So maybe (laughs) another time.
0: Absolutely. Eric, thank you so so much for coming on. I learned a ton from you, so thanks for sharing your heart and your Same, yeah. story with specialty coffee. And yeah, we'll be sure to to keep connected and um excited for what's specific-